And that very idea would be another way of saying, well, the person with dementia is behaving quite the way any other person would, or the way he or she would before. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I work with family caregivers one-on-one to help them respond to the often confusing, sometimes exasperating behaviors that come with a dementia diagnosis. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. Our goal is to focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And just maybe, maybe we'll share a laugh or two, because we know laughter's the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, I won't forget your wine, honey. You can, you can bet on that. So, you know, people talk often about dementia or the different dementias as memory loss. But there is much, much more to it than that. Um, That is a very common misperception that when we're talking about Alzheimer's or any of the dementias, that it's it's primarily their memory, that they they can't recall people's names, they don't know where they left their keys, that kind of things. One of the things I try to teach people is these are devastating brain diseases and our brain controls everything, so it's so much more than that. And that's one of the things we're definitely interested in talking with Dr. Sabat about today. Our guest, who is a professor emeritus of psychology at Georgetown University, for the past four decades, he's studied the cognitive and social strengths of people with Alzheimer's disease and dementia in the moderate to severe stages, and how communication between persons diagnosed and their caregivers may be enhanced. Welcome to our show, Dr. Sabat. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really honored to be able to speak with you. Well, we're very interested in your expertise. And one of the things we mentioned when we were emailing back and forth was this perception of uh, memory loss. So can you speak with, our, with us and our listeners about that? I should be happy to. Um, I should tell you, um, just because I think listeners may need to know or want to know, that even though you know I introduced as a professor and all of that stuff, I uh, spent most of my time learning about people with Alzheimer's disease and, and other kinds of dementia from people with Alzheimer's disease and other kinds of dementia. My mom had a vascular dementia, and I, for about 30, 35 years, uh, was associated free of charge with an adult day center in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I spent two to three days a week with people who were participants there. So taking people to the, taking men to the restroom, serving food, helping people eat, conversation, stuff like that. And so my, I was always feeling as though the people with Alzheimer's were my teachers because I didn't know anything about it and they did. So from their point of view. So there's a difference between learning about Alzheimer's and and dementia generally in scientific literature, but there's another thing, another way of understanding when you're being with people face-to-face on a regular basis. And my students would go to that day center three hours a week to learn from and interact with those people. So I'll give you a few examples about this business of memory loss. It really bothers me that, that that term is used because it connotes all kinds of things that can be 
become very mischief-making, and, and, and to put it mildly. So let me give you an example, of a, a few examples, I think, that will illustrate this. One day I walked into the day center because the social worker there said, oh, there's this man you have to meet. He's new here. And it turned out he's a retired professor in biology, and, and it was his first or second or day there. And she said, oh, you really have to meet this guy. And so I, I went over there, and I, and I walked in, and I walked down the hall, and there was a man standing in the hall. I didn't know who he was, and I just said hello because I say hello to people. And we chatted for a few minutes, and... Um, and just pleasantries like that. And then I walked into the social worker's office and we were chatting for a while, maybe two minutes, three minutes. And then uh, she said, oh, well, we should go out and, and find Dr. B. And I said, okay, let's, let's do that. And so we walk out of her office. She looks down the hall to her left, which is where I was coming from when I came to her office. And she said, oh, there he is. And it's the guy I was just speaking with. Hmm. And so she said, oh, Dr. B, um, come over. <laughs> And he comes over, he says, have you met Dr. Savat? And he said, and I'm about to say something like, yeah, I was just talking to, but I shut up because the question was put to him. And so he said, no. And I was kind of befuddled because, okay, we were just talking for a few minutes, right? Well, okay, so he didn't recall having met me. But in the, in the subsequent days, I spoke with him and I said, look, I, you know what it's like to have Alzheimer's and, and I don't, and so I need your help to understand this and I need to, to talk with you and well you know my wife will have to talk about this so fine we'll, we'll make sure your wife is okay with it in any event I came to introduce myself and now I said my name is Sabat and I said it's, it kind of sounds like the former president of Egypt Anwar Sadat but it's not Sadat it's Sabat right so from then on he always referred to me as Sadat hmm. <laughs> now if he had, quote, unquote, memory loss, he wouldn't have been able to do that. All right? Right. So that's one example. Of it. it was something that mattered to him, right? I mean, so, you know, a lot of times caregivers, they're concerned and they're worried about their, their loved one's memory, and they'll ask that person, what did you have for breakfast today? And, like, and, and the person can't recall that because who cares? I mean, so what? Nobody ever asked anybody what you have for breakfast in the morning. I mean, I mean, do you and do you and your husband talk like that? Oh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Of course not. So because it doesn't matter. But but when it matters, it matters. And so if you want, I can give you another couple of examples of this because they vary. Well, one of the things that um, you you know we're typically asked is, do you know what day it is? Well, when you're retired, who cares? Exactly. Exactly. When you're on vacation, who cares? Unless you really, I know my flight is going to be leaving, and so I have to find out when right. I have to be at the airport. Yeah, because it doesn't really matter. And, and what I've, I've, I've asked students, I've done the mini mental state exam with students in class, when I ask them what season it is, and it could be October or November, but it's cold out. And they often get it wrong because it's cold and it's right. So they don't know that when when fall begins or when right anyway uh another another example and i think this one illustrates a different kind of memory making and retrieve so think about memory as something that you can make and then you have to retrieve so if it's important you can make it if if you, you're retrieving it could be a problem it's like you put something into the computer and you don't put the right command in and it doesn't come back well you don't say the computer's memory is dead you say, oh, I, I haven't retrieved it the in the correct way. So here is another example. There was a, a man 
who had Alzheimer's and lived, still living at home. And he used to do the, uh, always did the gardening and, you know, mow the lawn, trim the shrubs and all of that stuff. And, and he did it without incident. It was fine. But his wife began to get concerned that he shouldn't use the lawnmower anymore because he might knock off, hit, break something, hurt himself or whatever. It, there was no incident that led her to believe this. But anyway, she put a padlock on the shed in the, in the, in the garden in the back where all the gardening tools are kept. And now the, the grass needs to, needs to be cut again. And he, Mr. C goes out to the shed and there's a lock on the thing for the first time. He takes a cinder block and breaks the lock off, gets the lawnmower and cuts the grass. Now, she, now his wife is really concerned. She can't keep the lawnmower there. So she calls her oldest son, the oldest of the three children who lived in the area, John, and asks John to come over and take the lawnmower to his house because she's concerned that dad will use that lawnmower and do some damage somehow. So John takes the lawnmower to, his, to John's house, unbeknownst to Mr. C. I mean, nobody ever in, involved him in this decision. And so a few days later, five, seven days later, uh, the grass needs cutting again, and he goes out to the shed. The lawnmower is gone. He reports to his wife that somebody stole the lawnmower, at, which was a logical thing to say. I mean, why would you think otherwise? And so then she informs him, no, I, I gave the lawnmower to John. John took it to his house because I'm worried that maybe you can hurt yourself or do some damage, what have you. Five days after that, John, the, the three adult children come for dinner. The youngest arrives first, and Mr. C gives that person hugs and kisses. The middle one arrives, hugs and kisses. John arrives, and Mr. C won't look at him and won't talk to him. This has never happened before. It was always warm and gracious and all that, but now he won't look at him and won't talk with him. And, and Mrs. C says to her husband, are you angry with John? And he says, yeah. And she says, why? And he says, I don't know. Now, this is an example of what's called implicit memory. That is, people have an experience, they make a memory of it, their behavior subsequently reflects the memory they made, but they can't recall the details. So somebody made you happy, somebody angered you, you make a memory of that, he was righteously indignant, but he can't remember, he can't recall the details. So now, if you don't know about implicit memory, if you don't understand that a person could make a memory of something significant, good or bad, and react accordingly days later, if you don't realize that that's a possibility, then you could label that person's anger as irrational hostility, because that's a symptom of dementia, instead of righteous indignation, which is a symptom of being treated poorly, not given any disenfranchisement, you know, I mean, that sort of thing. Well, I had never ha had that explanation before. Well, good. I'm glad you have it now. Yes. So it, it's interesting because one of the things I was going to mention is, and, and I told you uh, before we got on, on recording, that I watched one of your presentations and I was mesmerized by it. But one of the things that you talked about, and I believe it was Mrs. E., and um, it was put, uh, take the tray, yes. throw the trash away, and put the tray away, yeah. uh, and the dishes away. And the next day, she came to you saying, 
what do you want me to do? Because she remember she recalled yeah. that you asked her to do something, but couldn't recall exactly what it was. And that is another illustration of your point. Exactly. And you went on to talk about make things simple. And I have to tell you a story about my mom and dad. So my mother would send my dad to the to the store. And she would say to him, I want you to get a loaf of bread when you go for your walk. I don't want white bread. I don't want wheat bread. I don't want wonder bread. I don't want town talk <laughs> bread. I don't want rye bread. I want the Italian bread with the seeds. Or, or she, I want the Italian bread with the seeds. I don't want white. I don't want wheat. I don't want multigrain. I don't want this brand, that brand, and the other brand. And invariably, he would come home with the last thing that she right. said, not with the first thing that she said. This is, this is a wonderful example of what the cognitive psychologists refer to as the primacy or the recency effect. When, when a person is given a, in a normal, everyday, healthy person is given a list of things to study and then will have to recall later, they will always recall the first item or the last item, or one of those two, but not the ones in between. So it's called the primacy right. effect or the recency effect. What was the first thing? What was the last thing? That's very common. And that that very idea would be another way of saying, well, the person with dementia is behaving quite the way any other person would, or the way he or she would before. I would say to my mom, I would say, just tell him what you yes. want. Mom, just say, get the Italian bread with the yep. sesame seeds. Don't confuse them. Yeah, too much and she information. Say, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were just talking about this. I have a caregiver support group that reads that I've been leading for the last seven years, and a gentleman was just saying how frustrated he was because um, he put a, a bowl of hot soup in front of his wife, and he said, "Don't touch the bowl; it's hot." And she immediately touched the bowl, and he, you know, and I was telling him that's too many words. Yeah, really. Um, what you know, she could have just heard "touch the bowl." You just want to, if you're going to put it in front of her, first of all, <laughs> let it cool before you do that. But if you're going to yeah. put it in front of her, yeah. say "hot." Yeah, yeah, really. You know, it's funny. I, I, I I'm just re re responding to this because. When you said that, I thought of myself, you know, when I, I, I'm not a, a, what you might call a professional coffee drinker, which means that I, I can't drink anything, tea, coffee, when it's scalding hot. I can't do it. It'll sit there in front of me for 10 minutes before I'll even try to take a sip, you know? And so don't put it in front of me if, if, if that's a problem, right? Uh, my mother, on mm -hmm. the other hand, was the opposite. She would put something in front of me and, she, and I, would, I would sit there. And she would say, it's getting cold. And I would say, Mom, it started getting cold the minute you took it off the stove. I mean, it's, it's just not cold enough. But, but anyway, you're, that, that's a perfectly good example. Don't put it there. I mean, you know, just, just you know, make it simple. Exactly. That's, the, that's, the, that's, you know, the old acronym. Kiss, keep Kiss. it simple, stupid, right? I, I can give you a couple of other examples of this because I yes, think they, in, in one way or another, they can illustrate different aspects of, of problems that caregivers find themselves in. So there's another case that something happened at the adult day center and, and um, it was the end of the day and, and caregivers are coming to fetch their loved ones. And so this was this woman who was uh, 
Mrs. D, who was an absolute riot of a person. She was raised in a vaudeville family. Her, her brother was on the Ed Sullivan Show, stand-up comedian. And she used to, she was the life of the party at the day center. She would sing songs and tell jokes, and she'd do that sort of vaudeville, I got a million of them kind of thing, you know? Anyway, her husband was a very, very serious kind of guy, a very good guy. And he comes to pick her up one day, and we're standing in the hall, Mrs. D, a couple of staff people, me, and then Mrs. Mr. D. One of the staff people says to Mrs., did you have a nice day today? And she starts to answer, but before she can say anything, her husband interrupts her and says, oh, she loves coming to the center. She's always hurrying me in the morning, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, you know, who asked you? <laughs> She's like, so in any event, she, at that moment, she was wearing a turtleneck top. It was winter. She's wearing a turtleneck top, and it was outside of her slacks. Uh, some other question is asked. She's starting to answer this other question. And while she's talking, her husband starts tucking in her top into her trousers, into her slacks, going all around her, tucking this in. And he doesn't notice, but while he's doing this, her eyes are bulging out of her head. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you remember, if you know, when you were a child, if your mother or father came over to you on the street in front of your friends and started getting you dressed, it was embarrassing. It's frustrating, all of that. So anyway, her eyes are popping. So uh, two days later, I'm back there again in the morning, and he's, he's now he's just brought her there. And he says to me, oh, Doc, I got to talk to you. <laughs> so what's up? He says, the Alzheimer's is getting worse. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, the other day, you were there. You know, I, I picked her up uh, you know, at the center, and I brought her home. And all night, she wouldn't look at me, and she wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> I said, she, I see, she said, this is irrational hostility. I didn't do anything. I said, well, I think it was hostility, but I don't think it was irrational because, and I explained to him <laughs> what you did. And he, he, he just, he said, oh, you got to believe me. I, I, I never would, I would never do that to hurt her. I love her. I would never do. And I said, I do believe you. And I know you wouldn't want to hurt her, for, but you did that for a lot of reasons that really didn't need to be. I mean, she looked fine. You thought. And then you thought you could do that to her and it wouldn't bother her because she wouldn't remember it anyway. <clears throat> but she did remember it because it was so upsetting to her. And, and so if you think a person won't remember it anyway, then what happens is you do and say things or do things in front of them that are embarrassing. You would never do otherwise because you think, well, they won't remember it anyway. It doesn't matter. And then when they do react, it's... It, it's kind of cranked into the narrative of disease and symptoms, right? You know, one of the things that I like that you're doing, doctor, is you're calling it a day center. You're not calling it a daycare center. That's that's right. That that's that's something that I speak out against regularly. You know, words matter. A day mm -hmm. center. Um, don't talk about diapers. Don't talk about bibs. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. I mean, these are not children, for heaven's sakes. You know. I mean, it's just so. It's so remarkable how how we can, and, and this is unwittingly, it's it's innocent. Nobody's trying to hurt anybody else. But the, the assumption is that it's okay to do that and that people won't react, but people are people. And I don't care if you can't tell me what season it is or what floor we're on or how to subtract 7 from 100 or 7 from 93 or 7 from 86. Or, if you can't do that stuff, well, okay, maybe you could at another time. But that all of that stuff has absolutely nothing to do 
with the ability to feel humiliated or hurt or put down and react accordingly. That reminds me of a quote, and, and I'm going to quote you, so this may seem recognizable. Um, look at those with dementia as people rather than patients. Yes. Just because they have certain difficulties doesn't mean they cease to be a person. This is Sound oh, familiar? very familiar. I, I harp on this a lot. <laughs> I harp on this a lot. I mean, you, I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up because, because I mean, I, I, you know, I was introduced to somebody. I, I gave a talk at the day center. It was a caregiver education program. And afterward, this woman comes over to me and introduces herself and says, and this is my husband. He's the patient. And I thought she was, you know, I, what, what's fascinating about this stuff is that a, being a patient is I mean, that is a, a social part of a social relationship between a person and a healthcare professional. So to my dentist, I am a patient. To my, my physician, I'm, no, I mean, you did not introduce me today. This is this, we've been talking to Dr. Sabat. He's a patient and he's a dental patient. Well, I am a <laughs> dental patient, you know, but that's not my primary identity or social identity. But somehow, when people become diagnosed with dementia, they become patients in the social world, which is completely wrong. That, that, that's not all they are, but, and that shouldn't be the, the primary. Here's an example of what I, I'm so glad you brought this up. I mean, I've, I've done this thought experiment with people. And, and this is like masterclass students and, and, and adults in a, in a caregiver education. Here's a, here's a thought experiment. I want you to think about something about yourself that you don't like, that you have tried to change for the better and have not been able to, to do so. You know, you know th find one thing you don't like about yourself, you, you cannot, you haven't been able to change at all. And, and if you can't find one of those, if one thing about yourself you don't like, then, you know, we're gonna talk to you about some denial problems that you have. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're, 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 even if you're Mary Poppins, you're practically perfect in every way, but you're not perfect. So there's got to be one thing. So think of that one thing. And so they do. I say, okay, now I want you to think about how you would feel if everyone you encountered saw you principally for that one thing about yourself that you don't like and haven't been able to change. And you should see the looks of consternation that come over the faces of people like, oh my God, that would be terrible. Well, that's pretty much how it is for people with dementia when that becomes their principal identity. You know, I mean, they're more than that. And so this is really important for people to understand that just because you have been diagnosed with this doesn't make you a patient in every single social situation. I am not patient with that sort of thing. <laughs> a verb as opposed to a noun, right? <laughs> well, I have to say, I know that I learned a lot and I'm convinced our listeners do. The first note I made was about implicit memory. And, you know, it made me think about people that may I may have felt angry with in the past and just looking at them and sometimes just hearing their name brings that emotion uh -huh. back up. So that really, it really spoke to me. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Dr. Stephen Sabat. But it does not conclude our conversation. So come back for part two with Dr. Sabat where we discuss how we can help our loved one maintain their dignity. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. 
And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. Bobby and I would love to hear from you, answer any questions you might have, or just find out how you're doing. Please connect with us on Roger That Facebook and Twitter. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.